You may be seated. On the second Sunday of Advent, we light two candles to show that the church joyfully awaits for the coming of its Savior, who enlights her heart and scatters the shadow of fear and doubt. We pray that God will bless our lighting of these candles so that we may reflect the splendor of Christ our light. If we walk in the light as God is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, God's Son, cleanses us from all sin. Come down to us like showers upon the fruitful earth, love, joy, and hope, like flowers spring in your path to birth. Before you on the mountains shall peace the herald go, and righteousness and fountains from hill to valley flow. Please stand as we continue in worship.
great joy to come together and to sing the carols, to, to remember what Christ has done for us in coming to this earth as a baby. And we're glad that you're here in this time of worship this morning. Let me encourage you to take a few moments, share a word of greeting with others who are here in worship, maybe introduce yourself to someone new. I just want to mention a couple of things that are in your bulletin. 
Tonight at 6, we'll be gathering back here for a time of worship, and Pastor Mike will be speaking. We'll have a chance to offer some prayers together and, and worship together as uh, we come here. We invite you to be a part of that this evening at 6 o'clock. Wednesday evening, all our ministries on regular schedule. Next Sunday morning, regular worship schedule, 8, 29, 40, and 11. But just note uh, that there is a the worship schedule after next Sunday changes. And it's insert in your bulletin with the list of the, the Sunday mornings as we move uh, at the end of the semester and into the holiday time. And also just note the Christmas Eve services. If you're here, you'll be a part of one or both of those at 5 and at 7. And uh, also we'll be taking a Christmas Eve offering to help with some outreach needs. And you see that listed in the bulletin as well. Uh, there are also, uh, next Sunday evening is our annual Christmas carol sing, and we'd love to have everyone back. It's a fun time. We just sing carols. People uh, pick ones that we want to sing, and uh, we sing through them, and we all have a cookie reception afterwards. And if you can bring some cookies, that's great. If you come and you don't bring cookies, come anyway to that. If you can bring some extras, we, uh, we will package those up and distribute those through the food pantry. And so we, uh, we would uh, appreciate your, your help with that and hope you'll join us next week. There are also a couple of, of booklets in the back. One is um, about our family tree and the sermon series we went through uh, earlier in the fall. Each, uh, each page has the image that was in the bulletin and a brief prayer after it. And so we want to encourage you to take as many of those as you want and uh, to use that as a devotional guide. And also there is a devotional guide for Advent. And we want to encourage you to pick one of those up if you haven't. It's not too late to, to start. Even though we're in the second Sunday, you can jump in and we want to make those available to you. We Also, also there are a number of prayer concerns in the bulletin. And uh, we, of course, want to pray for situations in the world. And uh, we think about the, the uh, disaster, natural disasters that have taken place in the Philippines and Japan. And we certainly want to be in prayer about those situations and many others. And uh, we also want to add to this, uh, Kathy Moore's brother-in-law was killed last night after, in the midst of his home being invaded and robbed and uh, in Guatemala. We want to pray for uh, Kathy's family, Kathy and her family, at this time of tragedy and ask for God's grace upon their lives uh, at this difficult time. One of the, the joys that we have as a, as a family uh, community of faith is to dedicate our children to God, and we have the opportunity to do so again this morning. And I think we have a talkative one today, don't we? Why don't you guys just turn this way a little bit? There you go. Josiah and Rachel, you have brought this child whom God has given you to be dedicated to God and to his service. By this act, you signify your own faith in Jesus Christ. And you desire that she receive the benefits of dedication to God and the prayers of the church. And that she may early learn to know and follow the will of God. And thus doing may live and die a Christian. Attaining in, this, in the end of this earthly life to everlasting life in the kingdom of God. But it, in order that this may be accomplished, it will be your duty as parents to teach your child early the fear of the Lord. To watch over her education that she may not be led astray by false teachings or doctrines. To direct her mind to the Holy Scriptures as expressing the will and authority of God for all humanity. And to restrain her from evil associates and habits. To direct her feet to the sanctuary. And as much as possible, to bring her up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. Will you endeavor to do so by the help of the Lord? In Mark's Gospel, we read these words. People were bringing little children to Jesus to have him touch them. But the disciples rebuked them. 
And when Jesus saw this, he was indignant. And he said to them, let the little children, there you go, let the little children come to me and do not hinder them. For the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. I tell you the truth, anyone who will not receive the kingdom of God like a little child will never enter it. And he took the children in his arms, put his hands on them and blessed them. Okay. What name have you given your child? Isabel. Isabel Marie Snell Grove, on behalf of your parents and your family and this congregation, I dedicate you to God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. <laughs> You're a wiggler, aren't you? And we practiced this this week, and she was great. All right, you want to look, don't you? How about that? Look around. Yeah. Well, as I mentioned, every time we dedicate our children to God, this is really the culmination of a, of a threefold covenant that we're making surrounding this little one. God's grace is, is the base of that triangle around her. And we know how much he loves her and cares for her. And the scriptures are clear about his yearning for all of his children. Okay. There you go. We'll not fight with that today. And, and Josiah and Rachel have made their commitments as parents to do everything in their power through the grace of God to help her know Christ and to follow Christ. But we also have a responsibility. We don't know how God will bring her into our lives and us into her life. It may be through a class. It may be through the nursery. It might just be hanging around the church, being around town, where we have the opportunity to show her what it looks like to follow Christ. And so I want to invite you to stand and to affirm your commitment to this child and to this family. As the church of Jesus Christ... Will you, with the help of God, do everything possible to help Isabel grow in the nurture and grace of Jesus Christ? Will you love her? Will you be a godly witness to her? And will you help her to know and accept the grace of God in her life as God enables you and leads you? If so, answer, we will. Gracious Father, we come today and once again give you thanks for the gift of new life for children. We know that they are precious in your sight. We know that Isabel is precious to you. You have created her. You have blessed her by bringing her into this world and into this family. And you love her with an everlasting love. And nothing will ever change that. Today, we dedicate her to you. We pray, Father, that she will always know how much you love her and how much you care for her and how much you yearn for her and that her response to your love and your grace and your yearning will be to open her heart to you every day of her life. Even now at this young age, instill within her a yearning to follow you. Father, we pray for Josiah and Rachel. Bless them as parents. 
What a great joy that it is to, to be parents of children, but a great responsibility as well. And we pray that you will pour out the abundance of your grace upon them. Give them patience. Give them wisdom. Give them the love of Christ. That as they commit themselves to you every day, that will have bearing on Isabel's life and it will lead her to want to commit her life to you as well. And Father, we pray this for us as a congregation. That you will help us to be people who witness your grace in every way that we can. Make us people who continue to care about children because you do. Because they are precious to you. Make them precious to us. We pray your grace upon Isabel. Bless her life in every way. And we dedicate her to you. And we pray this through Christ Jesus. Amen. Please be seated. Today's scripture reading comes from the book of John, chapter 1, verses 1 through 13. Would you please stand and join me in the reading of the gospel? In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. In him was life, and that life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, but the darkness has not understood it. There came a man who was sent from God. His name was John. He came as a witness to testify concerning that light, so that through him all men might believe. He himself was not the light. He came only as a witness to the light, the true light that gives light to every man, was coming into the world. He was in the world and through the world was made through him, excuse me, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Yet to all who received him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision or a husband's will, but born of God. This is the word of God. Please be seated. And at this time, the ushers may come forward and help us with the receiving of our tithes and our offerings.
together if you'd like to use the altar rail as a place you come and pray maybe about a burden in your life burden for someone else a burden for the world or you just simply want to come and kneel as you pray today please join me Father, in this moment of silence, hear our prayers as we open our hearts to you for the burdens that are in our lives and those we love for this world. Father, as we lay before you these concerns, we do so because Christ has come and he is Emmanuel, God with us. How can we express our gratitude that you have stepped into time and space and you've taken on flesh and bone and blood And you have surrendered yourself to all of the weaknesses and and the frailty of this world in order to be with us. Father, we pray that you will stir our hearts anew for what it means for you to be with us. In your presence, heal all who are sick. Comfort all who are grieving. And today we think especially of Kathy's family. We pray, Father, that in your presence you will heal the brokenhearted. We pray that you will rescue all who are enslaved by people or by things. 
We pray that, that you will bring peace where there's war and violence. You will bring hope where there is despair. Bring water to lands that are parched and dry and food to places that are known for famine. Father, we pray that you will stir our hearts in a new way today and during this Advent season that we will see you more clearly and that we will open our hearts to you more fully. Thank you, Father, for Christ, for all that we celebrate during this time. Let it penetrate deep into our being that we might be changed, transformed, made new. And we pray this, all of that we pray, in the name of, in the power of, and through the grace of, Jesus Christ, Emmanuel. Amen.
Through the years, I've had the privilege of visiting a number of famous landmarks. Uh, I've been to the Arch in St. Louis, towers over the Mississippi River. I've been to the Space Needle in Seattle, one of the scariest things, my fear of heights, going up that glass-encased elevator. I've been to the Eiffel Tower, the Arc de Triomphe in Paris. I've been privileged to see a number of things. I think one of the most fascinating and memorable and, and just awe-inspiring places I've been is Mammoth Cave. Mammoth Cave is located in south-central Kentucky. And I grew up in southern Indiana, so our youth group used to take trips once a year down to Mammoth Cave. And then went to seminary near Lexington, and so we used to go down there some Mammoth Cave is 390 miles of explored underground caves. It is amazing. And and it is, uh, they have 14 different tours that they offer. Some are half an hour up to four and a half hours. They they rate them. uh, Some of them are are, uh, easy tours. Some of them are moderate tours. Some of them are strenuous tours. Some of them you have to wear a hard hat with a light on the front of it. Some of them there are age requirements. Some of them there are height requirements and physicality requirements. And, 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 and some people who, when we used to go as a youth group, not everybody loved Mammoth Cave. Because you go down and you start descending down into this cave and the ceilings are kind of low in places and the walls are kind of narrow in places. If you're in any way claustrophobic, it, it begins to get to you after a while. And I had friends who say, you know, you guys go ahead. I think I'll just wait out here. 
But I remember going down there once with some friends of seminary, and they have a, in, the, in the bottom of it, they have a cafeteria. I guess they figure if you're there a couple hours, you might want to eat something, and they can make a little cash. So they have this cafeteria, and I remember we were standing in line to get probably something to drink. I can't imagine we were going to pay $5, $10 for a sandwich or whatever it is they were selling. But we're standing in line, and we walk up, and all of a sudden we realize there's a payphone connected to the wall down the basement of Mammoth Cave. And we're thinking, what in the world is a payphone doing down here? And then we got to thinking, wouldn't it be funny to write down the phone number of that payphone and someday just arbitrarily at noon just call it? And people are standing in line and this payphone rings next to you in the bottom of Mammoth Cave. Are you waiting in line to get something to eat? We never did it, but we thought it might make a, a really interesting candid camera episode and how people responded to that. But one of the things about Mammoth Cave is they have, you get to a spot with this big open area and they have benches that are, that are situated throughout it and they have everybody sit down. And then they turn off all the lights. That is darkness. You're a hundred some feet underground. There is absolutely no natural light anywhere. You just sit in darkness. And they, you know, tell you, put your hand in front of your face. You cannot see it. Wave it around. You cannot see it. One time when I was there, they were telling you to do all kinds of crazy things with your hands and they flicked the lights on and everybody was doing this, you know. It is pitch black, total darkness. And until one of the rangers lights a torch and flings it up onto a ledge, it's kind of weird. Because, you know, when we have darkness here, it's not total darkness. We can see a little bit and our eyes begin to adjust and we can begin to make out things because there are stars and, 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 and there, is, there are lights around somewhere. But that was just total darkness. And every time I read this passage from John 1, I think about being in Mammoth Cave. John says in verse 5 that the world is in darkness. The light shines in the darkness. And we are in a world of darkness, John says. The scriptures have been talking about the darkness of the world from back in Genesis 3. And you read through the Old Testament, it's darkness, darkness, darkness. And you see darkness surrounding the coming of Christ. It always has amazed me that even though we don't understand all the circumstances, surely, surely, somebody in that culture would have stepped up and said, I tell you what, here's a pregnant woman who doesn't have a place to sleep. You can have my bed. And nobody seems to. Darkness. And when the religious leaders discovered that, that the star has shown and the, and the magi come to Jerusalem and, and they discover that this might be the time, they don't even care. They get out their books and say, oh yeah, down in Bethlehem. And they go back to what they were doing. Darkness. Of course, Herod is willing to do anything and everything to maintain his power against what he perceives is a rival. Darkness. But we don't need the ancient world to tell us the world is darkness. We see it all around us. Go on a news site on the internet, read a newspaper, listen to what's going on. Injustice, 
war, violence, hatred, terrorism, greed, corruption. Our world is filled with darkness. We live in a world that is enamored with darkness. But it's not just the world out there. Because if we're honest, the darkness is in here too. We are people who wrestle with the darkness. Let's be honest. We wrestle with hatred, self-centeredness, immorality, apathy, racism. There's stuff going on in our hearts that we know is darkness. And God, and I don't think we take the darkness as seriously as we should. I think we have a tendency to say, well, that's just the way it is. You got to live with it. But God isn't willing to live with it. God isn't willing to just let the darkness be. And John says, God sends the light, Christ, into the world to change the darkness. Jesus is light in the darkness because God wants to do something about the darkness. John loves this image of light and dark. And throughout his gospel, he speaks a number of times, in fact, more than any other New Testament writer, about light. Jesus says in chapter 8, I am the light of the world. Anyone who follows me will, will, be, will, will not live in the darkness, but in the light. And John takes us back all the way to Genesis. Not just with those beginning words, in the beginning was the word, but all the way back to Genesis, the first recorded words of God. And God said, let there be light. And the light envelops the darkness. And Jesus comes into the world to be light in our terrible darkness. The darkness out there and the darkness in here. But John goes on and says, it's not just that that the light comes, but he says the, the light shines in the darkness, but the darkness has not understood it. And that word understood is a, is a difficult word to translate. It, on the one hand, the meaning relates to obtaining something, getting something, having something that you didn't have before. So it's like you know, a prize at the circus that you, you walk away from a game and get. Or, or it's, it's getting a house from a realtor or an automobile from a salesperson. Or... or a video game from the store. It's something that you didn't have, now you have. And you can see where you, you take a material possession that you didn't have and now you have it and you hold on to it. And you can see how that would easily then become not just grasping a thing, but grasping an idea. And you be, when you grasp an idea, you begin to understand it. It makes sense to you. And that's part of what this word means. And he says the darkness hasn't understood it. He says the darkness, but on the other hand, this word also means to overcome, to conquer, to be the victor. And, and, and he's saying to us that the light is stronger than the darkness. 
However powerful the, the darkness may be, however magnetic, however appealing the darkness is, the light is stronger, more powerful, greater. Now, we understand the power of darkness. I mean, you know, when are we most afraid? When it's dark. And when you're in, when you're in a house alone in darkness and you feel fear creeping in, you hear a noise, something outside, sometimes all it takes is turning on a light and it just sort of makes you feel better. Or you spend the night in the darkness worried and concerned and something about the first light of dawn that makes you feel more secure and less fearful. You know, I, I think Geico has some of the most memorable commercials. You know, the, the gecko and the caveman guy. I mean, they, they've, they've hit the mark, a number of these commercials. And now their new thing is, you know, something is happier than... You know, people who have Geico are happier than whatever. There's one, have you seen that, of the, of the, uh, the deer that are out in the, in the plain, like the, the Serengeti, they're out in the plains, and they're wearing these goggles, night vision goggles, and they can see the lion stalking them a few hundred yards away, and they are trash-talking that lion. You know, Carl, we can see you. We can totally see you, Carl. Why don't you just become a vegan? Go home. And that's, the lion kind of skulks away, you know. And the other thing is, how happy are Geico people? Happier than antelope with night vision goggles. But there's something about that that's true. The fact that they can see in the darkness, the fact that there's like light in the dark, changes the whole thing. Now they know where the lion is. And they can protect themselves. They can run from it. And yeah, it's an animated commercial. It's kind of goofy, but... We sort of get that because we know what darkness can do to us and we know what light can do to darkness. The problem is we want the light to completely dispel the darkness now. We want the darkness to be gone totally now. And we look at the world and the light has come on Christ and sometimes it feels like the world's just as dark as it ever was. And we say, Lord, what's going on? We thought the light was going to change everything. We thought it was going to get rid of all the darkness. Well, the truth of the matter is, Revelation tells us that when we get, when the kingdom is ushered in, when we get to that point where, where God brings in the fulfillment of his kingdom, then it will be light and there will be no darkness. But until that day, we're going to wrestle with darkness. And that's hard for us because we want it to be gone now. You know, we, are, we are impatient with God about the light. We're, we're, like children, we're like kids, maybe some adults, but probably kids who just can't wait for Christmas to open a present, to find out what they've gotten. And so a week before Christmas, they go scrounging around the house, opening drawers, looking under the bed, you know, opening closets, looking behind furniture. So they find the gift. And they pull it out and they open it up. It's like, yeah, that's awesome. And they're joyful for about 60 seconds. And then they realize they've made a mistake. Because they can't tell anybody about it. And when Christmas Day comes, they're going to have to pretend to be surprised. And they just ruined 
the surprise because they're impatient. And this is why we need Advent because Advent is a time to help us stop and wait and, and learn patience with God who's continually calling us to be patient because it's only in those moments when we have to be patient that we can learn to trust him. We can learn who he is, that he's faithful, even when things aren't going exactly the way we want them to. Even when the darkness seems to continually be crowding in upon us and the light doesn't seem to be doing what we want it to do, we trust that the light is still shining. That Jesus, who comes into this world and lives and dies and rises again from the dead, has conquered the darkness. It's just a matter of time. And Advent gives us the opportunity to see that and to learn to wait on God and to be patient on God's perfect timing. It's hard to wait. It's hard when things don't turn out, don't come at us the way we want them to. And John says in verses 10 and 11 that that this is a struggle that the world has when Jesus comes. Though the world was made through him, he says the world didn't recognize him. They totally missed him. Their creator comes and they're totally oblivious to him coming. And we sort of can understand that because they aren't looking for him. What's most shocking is that the people who have been looking for him miss him. He comes to his hometown. He comes to his own people. The people who for centuries have been waiting and planning and preparing for him to come. Looking for him. Waiting with bated breath. And he comes and they totally miss him. And you go, how is that possible? How do they miss him? Maybe it's arrogance. Maybe it's a sense of we don't really need Jesus. We're doing okay on our own. You know, it's not perfect, but hey, we're making it. Life's okay. We can handle this. What you call darkness, I call enlightenment. I'm okay. It might be the stuff that's happened in their life that has caused them to, to lose focus and to, and to, to twist their, their ability to see God and close it off. Maybe it's, it's circumstances and painful painful experiences. Maybe it's hypocrisy from someone that they trusted. I suspect it has something to do with expectations. And wrapped up in expectations, power. See, they're expecting the Messiah to come in a palace, not in a stable. They're expecting the Messiah to be born to royalty, not to commoners. They're expecting the Messiah to be raised in the seat of all the political and religious power of their nation, not in the outskirts, in some unknown village. They're expecting the Messiah to come with clashing swords and with a show of might and power, not in humility and weakness. And a cross. And they miss him. And you and I are at risk to miss him too. 
Because we have expectations of how God is going to work in our lives and how God is going to work in the world. And often they are not the same expectations that God has. I think one of the issues that the evangelical church has, has struggled with is that you know, we believe that we've fallen into the trap of, of using the, the strategies of the culture to be the strategy of the church. We've adopted that as our own. And so we, we, you hear people say, if we could just get enough influence in the White House, then things would change. If we could just have enough influence in Congress, then things would change. If we could just, if we could just revamp our court system, things would change. If we could just be so influential, if we could garner more wealth and more power and more of the stuff that this world really admires, then we would succeed as the church. No wonder we miss Christ. Because Christ comes and says, this is about serving, not being served. It's about loving, not trying to get people to love us. It's about weakness, not power. It's about humility, not arrogance. It's about caring for those who are vulnerable. Not about giving our attention to the people who have the power to do something in this world. No wonder we miss them. Like the people of old, we lose out on what Christ comes to do. But as John makes clear, the the real point of of the light of Christ coming into this world is not just so we can see better. As important as that is, it's about giving us life. He says the light that was coming into the world was coming to bring life. That's the purpose of Jesus coming, is to give us life. You know, when you, when you think about life, you think, of course, Jesus is the source of life. He's the one through whom all is created. And so it would make sense that life comes through him. And life is what, it, what that, it's that deepest thing inside of you that you want life to be and that you dream that life could be. Jesus comes to do that and more. Jesus comes so that we might experience what we're, we were created to be. In the fullness of life. And John loves this term life like he loves the term light. In a couple of chapters, he's going to record that Jesus says, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. And a little later, Jesus says, I have come that you might have life and have it abundantly, have it to the full. That's God's plan for us. That's why Jesus comes, so that we know what it means to truly Live. See, the problem is we settle for life down here. We settle for mediocrity. And God's plan for us is so much greater, so much bigger and wider and deeper. God wants so much more for our lives than we want. We just settle and we miss it. But Jesus comes in his light to open our eyes so that we can experience his fullness of life. And that culminates in being children of God. And John's clear. It's not, we're not children of God because 
of our nationality or our race or the social class into which we might be born. We're children of God because we've opened our lives to Christ. And when, you're, and when you open your life to Christ, when you receive him, when you embrace his light, then you become family with Christ. And God looks at us and says, that's my daughter. That's my son. They're mine. They're mine. And we know an intimacy with our creator that we were born to know. The problem with getting to that point is the darkness. Our world is, is enveloped in darkness and, and we are born in darkness. And John says that the light that was coming into every person was coming into the world. And we call that in the Wesleyan tradition, provenient grace. That the light of God comes into the world and it gives us the ability now to choose right from wrong, to know what's moral and immoral, to understand truth and falsehood, good and evil. But it's more than that. It's more than just saying, well, we'll be good people. It's about understanding the depth in the depths of our being, the redemption, the redemption of Christ that he came to give us. If you're born in darkness, you have no, re- you have no way to choose the, the life. And God knows that. And Christ comes to give us the light and to be light for us. There are a lot of ways theologically that that is described. And there are a lot of, there are a lot of images that people use to, to, to fashion that. I'm particularly intrigued by, by the image that Jerry Walls and, and Joe Dons will use in one of their books. So imagine you're a prisoner in the deepest recesses of a terrorist camp. Bound gagged, blindfolded, and drugged. Your mind is in a delusion. You can't think. You can't process. You couldn't cry out for help if you wanted to, and you have no way of planning any kind of escape route. And actually, you're kind of beginning to feel this place is natural and normal and and you've begun to embrace this dark, damp cell and you've identified with your captors and if somebody came to try to rescue you, you would fight them off. Only a divine invasion would succeed. And so God in Christ steals his way into the prison and to your bedside. And he injects you with a serum that begins to to clear your mind and to to begin to to help you relax about your fighting. And he shines a flashlight around the room and he kneels down to the bed and he says, do you know where you are? Let me show you. Do you know who you are? Let me tell you. And he holds a mirror up to your face. And you see the sunken eyes and the frail body. 
And he says, look what they've done to you. Look what what you've allowed them to do to you. And then he says, do you know who I am? Do you know that I've come to rescue you? Do you know that I've come to make you my own? And their eyes begin to open and and your heart begins to, to beat at a little bit faster pace. And he says, can I show you some pictures of what you once were? Can I show you some pictures of what of my wondrous plans for you in the years ahead? He says, I suspect that you may be afraid that I've come to harm you. So let me show you something. Look at my hands. They're bloody. I had to crawl through an awful tangle of barbed wire to get to you. And in this newly created sacred space, in this moment of possibility, God whispers once more, I want to carry you out of here right now. Just give me your heart. Trust me. Advent is a time to learn the depths of God's grace in our lives. To see anew his light shining into our hearts. And in the midst of the darkness of our world, in the darkness of this faith community, in the darkness of our hearts, Christ has come to be the light, the life-giving Abundant, full, real, genuine child of God, life-giving light. Will you trust him? Whatever the darkness may be, will you trust him? In this moment of silence, let's hear God speaking. Father, give us eyes to see your light in our hearts, in this community of faith, in the world. And help us to know the reality of your life that makes us children of God. Through Christ we pray. Amen.
please stand and sing with us. of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you now and forevermore. Amen. Amen.